0: Welcome to the Maker Vision Podcast, a podcast where we help you take your ideas from a dream to reality. Each episode will cover topics to help you overcome frustrations we all encounter in our maker community. I'm Trevor Wanamaker, a part-time maker running makerexperiment.com, and my co-host Stephen Ellis is a part-time woodworker running Old South Woodcraft. We have both encountered bumps and pitfalls along the road we call making. And we are using this podcast to help you avoid the same pitfalls. Welcome to the Maker Vision Podcast for episode five, where we're going to talk about the fear of getting started. But before we get to that, I'm joined, as always, with my co-host Stephen Ellis. Stephen, how are you doing today?
1: Doing great. It's uh, it's pretty quiet Saturday morning here in uh, in South Carolina. So it's uh, it's been a good week. It's been a long week. I've uh, had a decent amount of traveling around the, what we call the Upstate of South Carolina. But luckily, I have been in the shop a little bit. Not not a ton this week, but I have been in it somewhat, and I'm still working on my traditional sort of woodworking workbench um other than that i mean it's pretty much just been a, a pretty quiet week uh trevor i don't know what your week's been like other than i'd say probably hot as all get out living in, you know living out near vegas so what do you what are you uh getting into this week
0: this week i had to wrap up The Woodpecker's Square Project. So that's all finished and is currently on its way to Woodpecker's headquarters. It had to be mailed through UPS. And I had to go to a super sketchy part of town to do it. So that part wasn't the best. But at least I'm not uh, covering shipping on that one. So that helps a lot.
1: Yeah, because I would say there's probably... I mean, I would say you probably put a decent amount of insurance on it, I hope... Just to make uh, yeah. just to make sure. Okay, yeah.
0: And it is. Uh, I think the total package weight was about six pounds. So you can imagine how much that replica weighed just from the case, because the case was the majority of the weight.
1: Yeah, I mean it's a it's pretty much I mean pretty thick layers of of MDF to make that case. But I mean six pounds is is not too bad as far as shipping goes. And once again, you didn't have to cover it.
0: It helps. It helps being able to create cool projects when people are willing to pay for the shipping.
1: That does uh, help alleviate things, especially whenever you're making some smaller stuff. I mean, most of my stuff would have a hard time shipping, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> it's, hard to, it's hard to box up a, like a full-size table or a side table or something like that. It I does know, not man. ship well.
0: If you talk to people, they think you can just pull an Ikea and shove it in a box.
1: There are some, you know, there are some tables out there that are designed to be quote unquote flat pack, you know, basically how Ikea does. Here we'll send you an Allen wrench, uh, a bag of screws with some sort of weird Swedish word on them, and then all these pieces of MDF that look almost identical and you're supposed to figure out how to put it together.
0: You know, sounds normal.
1: That's pretty typical. That's pretty typical. So, other than our week in the shop, I think we're going to add a uh, a new segment, or I shouldn't say segment, but add a new little little piece to our podcast every week. Is kind of uh, what's been going on outside the shop that we we don't have a major interest in, uh, whether that be in you know watching something on TV, streaming something, playing a video game, listening to music, etc., etc. I've probably I'm going to go first since I'm already talking. My new thing this week is Castle Rock. It uh, I think it just launched this week, or, or in the last just few days, on Hulu. It's a Stephen King and J.J. J. Abrams made for TV, and it's amazing so far. I'm not going to drop any spoilers, but there's definitely those Stephen King classic references in there to some of his past movies and other things. So you, you if you have Hulu, my suggestion is get on it, because it's amazing, and it's not super scary or anything.
0: Well, for me... Lately, I have been watching, or rather catching up on, Man in the High Castle and Mozart in the Jungle. Ooh. So, they're both on Amazon. And my wife, I think, binge-watched all of Man in the High Castle without me. So It's, it's really, I'm really good. i trying to catch good. up.
1: I watched it. I don't know if it's got one or two seasons. I can't remember. But I know I, I watched it. Has, it's been a little while back.
0: It definitely has two. Okay. Well, I think I've watched both
1: seasons, and it's an amazing show.
0: From what I've seen so far, it's really good. I just haven't been able to watch all of it. I'll end up going to bed so I can go to work, and she'll watch two or three more. So I need to catch back up.
1: Unfortunately, that is the case whenever you're at work and she's at home during the day. Also true. Yes. So Trevor, what is our episode five about? What What are we getting into this week?
0: This week's episode is all about the fears associated with getting started, with making, and the overall either running a business or trying to make money from your hobby. And what we're gonna do to start off with is list the top three fears that we each have. And then we're gonna get down into all of the fears that we gathered from Instagram, from everybody commenting, And telling us what their fears were and we're going to try to talk through them and how we either have handled them in the past or how we would handle them if we had that fear. So some of these fears I didn't necessarily have, but I kind of thought through what I would have done if I had that fear at the time because some of them, let's face it, they're going to happen. It's just a matter of when. And when I ran into them, I just kind of figured out how to handle them. I didn't necessarily fear them because I knew it was coming at some point. And I think that's kind of how you have to handle some of these. So to get us started, what are your top three fears that you had as you got started, Steven?
1: My big three are... I think three, a lot of people face when getting started and they continue to face as their making moves forward um, from a hobby to a potential business. So there's the you know, most, you know, most standard one, uh, initial cost, cost of tools, cost of materials, you know, cost of lots of things. The next one is wasting time and wasting materials, which are also cost-based. Thankfully, as a hobby, you know, wasting time is kind of relative, but as you get into a business, it can expand. Time is money. And then the third one is investing the time, money, making things and not being able to sell anything, not finding the right people, not finding the right market or having a market that's flooded. You can't sell anything and you tank. you, You know, you go belly up, go out of business.
0: For me, my top three, the first one would be not being perfect. And when I say that, I mean, I like to try and plan out what I'm going to do. And if everything does not align the way that I think it should align, sometimes I just never start. The next one is not having the best quality. So this is kind of relative in a way to your own personal definition of quality but it's that thing where if you know that that one little nick is there nobody else is going to see it but you know it's there that part bothers me and then the third one which will happen eventually customer complaints and i don't mean it to say that somebody's going to have an issue with your stuff because there's a problem with it my view on this is that there's at least one person that will want to buy your stuff. That is just one of those people that complains about everything. And I've had this happen to me in the past, and it's just something that you can't really. Avoid. All
1: right. Now that we've talked about our kind of our big three, we're going to go into a more broad list, but we'll also talk about how we overcame our big three. So I'll start off with the, you know, the initial cost one, how I, you know, how I got past that one was thankfully I'm a hand tool woodworker and hand tools up until the last couple of years have been relatively inexpensive. Now that there's been a resurgence in making and a, and a, you know, going back towards, you know, some old school styles their uh, you know, tools are starting to get more expensive, especially depending on the quality and the manufacturer so i was able to, to to buy things cheaply and i fixed them myself and, and get back into it and that's something you can do even if you're you know buying huge tools if you're not a hand tool person or you know you're you're trying to make that initial investment and say all right if i'm going to be a uh, a metal guy i really need to get a lathe or i need to get a uh, big old bridge port and, and try to get that up and running well craigslist uh, Facebook Marketplace. I love Facebook Marketplace. I buy a lot of stuff from there. Uh, Trevor, I know, is a, a Craigslist junkie, which we're going to definitely talk about in some future episodes, and it's going to be real cool. Or you know, just go out and about, look for yard sales, look for auctions, look for you know any place where somebody might be selling something used. Yes, there is that you know time to cost ratio of okay, if this if this machine costs a hundred dollars but it could be, you know, worth a thousand if I clean it up, you know, you, you have to decide, all right, do I want to put in that 10 times amount of effort to, to be able to offset that, you know, that 10, you know, that 10 times less cost. So that's, that's one area I can definitely suggest that, that people do look for use things, use things generally, as long as they, you know, don't look like they're completely broken, they can be repaired, they can be fixed, especially some of the bigger tools out there. People still make parts for them. Some of these companies still are still are in business. You know, the thing that uh, the thing that probably works best for me is, you know, you just have to you have to weigh it out. You know, it's it, Do I have the twenty dollars now or do I have the hundred dollars later? If I have twenty dollars now, I'm probably gonna spend the twenty dollars now and figure out that hundred dollar situation later. Trevor, what are you uh, what are you going into your with your big three?
0: The first one for me was the not being perfect so as I alluded to earlier it's more of the I want everything to be in place I want everything to look a certain way and if it's not exactly the way I envision it I never start it and I think a few of us have this this mentality where if I can't afford you know, the right material or I can't afford uh, the machinery or whatever that makes it look the way I want it to look, I just never start the project. The way I overcame this was I've kind of had to break away from that mindset a little bit. And for lack of a better way of thinking is just start. So nothing is ever going to be perfect, no matter how much you plan it, it will never turn out exactly as you envision it, because there's always something that is slightly different or slightly off. And actually, before we started this podcast, things were not necessarily aligned for the website, or, you know, for a long time, it was the... Just coming up with the topics and planning them out. And eventually it just took, you know, seeing something uh, from Gary B actually about, you know, just getting started and putting it out there and not caring, you know, necessarily what everyone else thinks about what you're trying to do, but just trying it and seeing how it goes. And that's ultimately what just made me say, okay, yeah, it's never going to be perfect. Let's just
1: start. The next one for me, um, you know, coming off the, the not being perfect thing uh, is is the wasting time and materials because you can waste a lot of time trying to strive for that perfection and and never reaching it. I mean, even the most precision tools in the world are good down to, you know, ten thousandth of an inch. So, I mean, they're still, they're still not perfect, even though they're the, you know, they're best in the world. So to me, you know, for me, wasting time is not as big of an issue unless I'm in a time crunch from a client. Hey, I've got to get this thing out by X date. Luckily, I've, I, you know, I'm able to, to work at a, at my own pace, hand tool woodworking, you know, you don't want to rush it, uh, because mistakes can happen and it takes a lot longer to fix mistakes than it does to avoid them. The one that, that always got me, though, was wasting materials because I try to use better quality materials as, or as best quality materials as I can find uh, within reason. You know, I'm not going out and buying uh, ePay and, and uh, Coca-Bolo for every project. Honestly, I don't think I'd probably even use Ipe or Bolo for any project unless somebody specifically asked for it. But, you know, finding materials when you're very first starting is a daunting task. Uh, especially in the woodworking world, because there's lots and lots of people out there that have hardwoods and things like that. And you don't know what the costs are and you don't know how to come up with, you know, with what, how much you're going to invest. I mean, I just came from a hardwood dealer uh, a few weeks ago. thinking, I'll go in here, I'll spend like 150, 200 bucks. I walked out just under $500. So, you know, when you're first started making $500 can, can just Completely break your bank, so you need to really think about: Is it worth spending that money or not? You know, like I, you know, I said earlier, spend that twenty dollars now as opposed to saving up for that hundred dollars later. Well, in materials, you need to save that money. But the other thing that I can suggest is really hunting and peck, you know, pecking down where materials are coming from. Surprisingly, there's a lot of old barns out there with a lot of old guys that used to have their own mill. They hooked it up to their tractor and would mill logs that came off their property. And they just stacked them up thinking that one day I'm going to build me an entire house full of walnut furniture. I'm going to build me an entire house full of oak furniture. Guess what? It sat in their barn for 30 or 40 years. And now their kids or grandkids are trying to get rid of it. And they're like, just get this out of here. Take it. $2 a board foot, $1 a board foot, or if you'll build me something out of it, you can have all of it. Just just build me something. So you've got to look for those opportunities. And that goes back to the Facebook marketplace, Craigslist, those sorts of places.
0: The next one for me is not having the best quality. And this is, you know, that nick in the paint or that little piece that just isn't right. And you know about it. And the customer may not see it, they may not know about it, but if I have one of those issues, I try to be upfront with whoever I'm working with as a client. I've had signs where there will be, the paint will be perfect, I'll go to spray on a a protective coating, and then there will be some cracking in the paint for some reason, and I've had that happen and what i do to handle this kind of stuff is one i have to get past the again not everything is going to be perfect uh the paint may have one little area or you know you may have sanded it really well but there's one spot that just would not behave and here i'm just upfront with whoever I'm working with and I say, you know, this happened. This is what I tried to do to mitigate it. I didn't want to do any more cuz I thought it would make it worse. If you want me to remake the whole thing, that's perfectly fine. And I found that by being upfront about it and telling them and being honest instead of just shipping it to them and then having them find out when it gets there. Every time I've told them ahead of time, they said, "Oh, it's no problem." We completely understand just send it the way it is. So I send it and I say, you know, if you decide that you're not happy with it, when you get it, let me know. And I've never had anybody tell me once they receive it, that they have an issue with it because they knew about it before I ever sent it. So that's just how I handle that one.
1: That's think that's the best way to handle it. If you're honest with your clients, normally they're going to be pretty, pretty dang satisfied. Um, because everything we make is handmade. It's not coming off a production line that's worked out every detail to the last, you know, thousandth of an inch. So, you know, handmade means there's going to be some small little uh, nuances about it. And, um, you know, the, the the thing that I have, uh, one of my major issues that, that still, I mean, it's going to happen for every maker out there is them not selling anything. That was my biggest fear. I'd invested a lot of money. I invested a lot of time. And for the first year, I couldn't hardly sell anything. And thankfully, I hadn't really officially launched my business yet. It was more like, hey, if somebody wants to buy something, great. If not, I guess I'll sit on it for a little while, you know, and then projects start stacking up kind of here and there. And then then I realized, you know what? Not everybody wants to buy this particular thing that I'm making, so I'm just going to have to deal with that. But the other thing I figured out was I've got plenty of people that I know that need something at a very low cost, or they have a birthday coming up, or this, that, or the other. And so I started kind of giving some stuff away. But in doing that, I got a lot of respect and I got a lot of praise from a, from a good number of people. And then, thankfully, using social media, some people posted about it or they took pictures of it or this or that. And then I started to get some responses. And I got a few more responses and a few more responses. And finally, things took off. You know, I highly doubt any maker right out of the gate is going to make one one piece or a one-off custom and boom sell it you know that same day just just boom gone and you know and just make a you know handful of cash for for a little small investment up front to to really help you know take their business off that's not how the real world works I, I don't know hardly anybody that has ever done that maybe if you live in an area where you're the only woodworker or the only metal worker or the only leather worker around for 50 or 60 miles then that might happen because you're the only person there is to do it, but in today's society, most markets are flooded, especially the market I lived in, the market you used to live in I mean, how many other woodworkers do we know? Oh countless yeah, and they all have various varieties of making you know thankfully, I'm the hand tool guy, and I do things in a slightly tr- you know slightly more traditional manner than most of the rest of them, so I've set myself apart in that way and i think that's that's one of the bigger things i can tell people to do set yourself apart don't bid, don't build mid century modern for everything because there's 50,000 people told mid century modern right now
0: the last one to wrap up my top 3 is going to have to be the bad reviews and customer complaints fear let me just head it off by saying this will happen the odds of having every single person you ever work with be 100% happy with everything is fairly slim. Now, if you're honest and you're upfront, most people will be happy to work with you. They'll leave you good reviews. But I've had cases where somebody saw the images for something that I made online. They looked at them. I gave them the exact dimensions. I gave them the depth the height the width everything gave them how many colors it was what they could do with it and they ordered one and i made it you know completely custom for them and everything was the same size as i told them at the start and when they received it they said oh this was much bigger than i thought it was and then rated me two stars And I reached out and they said, well, it was a lot bigger than you told me it was going to be. And I said, if you look back, I told you it's going to be this height, this width, this depth. I tried to be as transparent as possible. And the person said, well, I didn't see that. And I'm not happy with the size. But then they didn't want to return it either. So it was one of those people that I think... Was trying to, and you're going to get this. You're going to get the people that troll you and try to get your work for free without, you know, having to pay for it at all. They expect you to ship it to them and then refund them because it's not what you told them. Yep. Yeah. And people are going to try that. And you just have to be cognizant of that. And you have to have a return policy. So I have a return policy that says, okay, you can return it but it's for credit towards something else it's not a full refund and i have that as a disclaimer because and there's you know there's instances where depending on the person sometimes i will make an exception like if it's a if it's somebody i've worked with before but for the most part definitely have a return policy i found that this alleviates a lot of that and also list as many details as you are comfortable listing. So all dimensions, colors, whatever. List as much as you possibly can in the description. Especially if people are buying it online. It makes them feel a lot more comfortable. And more pictures, the better.
1: That's well, it's definitely something I haven't had to deal with myself, Trevor, thankfully. Because I don't really ship anything. <laughs> so... You know, that's, that's a good thing. But I mean, I have, you know, I have tried to sell stuff before and people are, you know, you know, people will definitely try to talk you down on anything that you've made. It's like, oh, I, I can, I, I can get this made for $50. I'm going have it made for $50. For $50. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> I, I'm like, I don't know how you're going to get it made $50 because I got the wood for free and I salvaged it myself. So I don't know how you're going to get it made for $50. But I mean, those are the things you're going to run into. No matter what you do, what making skill set you're in, what business you're in, people are going to complain about something. People are whiners at the end of the day. All right, so here's some skill or skills, sorry, here's some fears that we got from, from Instagram and uh, from people sending us messages directly and things like that, that we didn't put in our top three, but they're totally valid. I mean your fears are always valid when you're starting as a maker and continuing as a maker Um, so lack of skills this is a big one Um, you know if you're if you're trying to jump into you know any sort of making uh, and have no background in it or have no background in making at all but you're just a very artistic person or you just really want to try your hand at something that you think might sell lack of skills can definitely kind of shut you down it's like well I feel like I should get paid for this, but I don't know if I have the skill set good enough to get paid for it. And um, you know how how one would over you know overcome that. You know how I've overcome it is is you know just having having a mentor for one that that definitely helped me because he helped me walk through those areas I was not comfortable with. You know either he you know he explained them very well to me. You know how to how to work through them. Or he just gave me encouragement along the way, you know, that, hey, this looks good. It looks, you know, looks fine by my take. You know, your clients will never, you know, never have any idea. You know, especially people, you know, buying something that that aren't experts in it. They just see something pretty and they want to buy it. They generally are not going to be, you know, they're not going to notice little nuanced things. Like, you know, say you make a leather handbag, if the leather's not, completely, you know, it's not, the the grain's not perfect all the way across because something happened, they're probably not going to notice that. They're probably just going to say, dang, this is a really nice leather bag and it's like, it's super pretty and I'm going to put all sorts of stuff in it. That's what most people generally want, is they want something pretty or they want something to show off. So as long as you can get your skill set enough to where things look pretty, they look good. Your skills, you know, your your more finesse skills will come after that. But you know, the one thing I can say is, don't try to put lipstick on a pig. Don't don't try to cover something in in paint or finish or this that and the other to try to cover up a mistake. Either work the mistake out or start over and and, and try to do it better. Cause uh, putting lipstick on a pig is is basically worthless. Still smells like a pig. Looks like a pig.
0: So the next fear is not having the right tools or equipment. And starting out, I had this. I was trying to get into laser engraving, laser cutting, and I did not have a laser at the time. So the way that I handle not having the right tools or equipment is seeing if I can rent time on others. So I try to find people around me that have the tools that I would like to use or be able to use. And I either ask them if I can rent time on them or, you know, help them with something in exchange for them teaching me how to use it or whatever it may be. But I found that no matter what you, you know, what tool you need or what equipment you need. There is bound to be somebody that is willing to help you in some capacity. Whether you can rent their time to do it or whether you can, you know, rent the equipment itself, whatever it might be, without a huge upfront cost. So, you know, if you need a table saw, they're not they're not cheap to buy a table saw. Not at all. But you can definitely find somebody around... And be like, hey, if I give you X amount of money, can you either show me how to use it, or let me use it, or you know, cut these boards for me, whatever it might be. And you're looking at a, a fraction of the cost of actually buying a machine. So that's how I would handle not having the right tools, is just reaching out to people that do, and try to make it a a two way back to that relationship building we were talking about is make it worth their time to help you out. Whether it be by helping them or giving them some money to rent time.
1: Yeah. And I mean, and that goes back to one of our, uh, you know, one of our base things for our podcast, you know, being part of the tribe. Um, so if if you can if you can try to get more people together in your tribe, then you can leverage you know those potential tools or the time or equipment things like that. Um, the area that that uh, I mean every every maker will face at some point and it is inevitable is failure, and that's not your business failure, but that is working on a piece, or working on a product, and your tool goes down. Or, you know, I guess in your in your case, Trevor, the laser decides to act up and boom, you've just cut a huge, you know, huge line across this sign you're making. Sign's ruined. You can't do anything about that. Uh, you know, I I know that happens from time to time with people just first getting into CNC as well. I don't know what happened with my tool path, all of a sudden my tool's just you know, it's just cutting just cutting a hole to you know, to China and ruining an entire board. I mean it's gonna happen it is a skill you have to learn, just like everything. Um you know, so failure is inevitable, but how you overcome that failure is how how you exceed a make as a maker. you know one of the biggest things I can suggest is always doing test pieces, test cuts, test fits, things like that scrap keep lots of scrap on hand you know you don't have to have you know you know an entire shop full of scrap this or that, but keep enough on hand that if you are working on new tooling if you're you know if you're a machinist and you want to cut threads of you know an odd size or an odd diameter or a, you know odd thread length keep scrap around so you can work on doing that you know if you're a leather worker or somebody that uh, somebody that does a lot of seamstress work always keep extra cutoffs around so that way you can work on your your needlework or you know you can work on your stamp work as a woodworker, I always have lots of scraps. Um so cutoffs are cutoffs are quite common, especially if I'm working on a piece where I've got some complicated joinery or I'm uh, you know, my cutting board project that I did recently used a template with a router. That's not something I use hardly at all. I've never used a template with a router. I don't use my router very much anyways. So before I ruin a piece that I spent, you know, hours working on hand planing, you know, I stuck a chunk of plywood in there that was roughly the same thickness and patterned it all out to make sure the template worked, my feed rates were working good, and that I was pushing in the correct directions. So that's always the best suggestion I can say about ruining a product. Don't use your, you know, your A number one quality stuff to to practice on. Keep scraps.
0: And to expand on that a little bit from the failure aspect, I try not to, you know, view them as a failure I try to view them as a learning point something that okay well now I know I shouldn't do it that way next time and by just turning your mindset to it's not a failure it's a learning opportunity you'll be surprised at how how much it changes how upset you get by something happening which brings us into the next one of trying something new To me, I don't see this as much of a fear because I like trying new things. I see it as more of a challenge. But I do understand that a lot of people see this as a fear and because it's new and because they haven't tried it before, it's scary. And my best advice for this is to just try it. The worst thing that can happen is that it doesn't work out the way you planned it to work out. And I can tell you that when I started that Woodpecker Square project, I failed at least three times before I ever got to a point where I figured out what I was doing. And I saw this as more of a, you know, the project was completely new to me. I had never tried anything like it. I had never tried the painting style that I had to use on this. And each part of it was a new step in learning. So now, you know, the next project, I know that I can make something really cool because of what I learned on that project. So trying something new is, I mean, you have to do it because somebody's eventually going to order something you haven't done before if you're trying to sell your stuff. And I would say the the best thing to do is to just take it one step at a time, try to break down the thing you're trying to make or do into steps and take it one step. And then when you get past that step, go to the next step. And as you make them smaller pieces that you're chipping away at, before you know it, the project's done. And it doesn't seem as overwhelming that way
1: that's that's totally legit uh, you know something we face quite frequently um and another another big fear that a lot of people have, and it goes back to some of my you know my key fears is charging what you're worth um we've had that one come up we had that one come up several times by a bunch of different people, and I mean it's something that that I have to ask myself all the time you know what am I truly worth, and that unfortunately is not. And, uh, you know, a simple question that or not a simple answer to a very simple question, because there's a lot of factors that go into it. The way I can say overcoming that fear, though, is to, you know, to initially price things high. And people are either going to try to talk you down or they won't buy any of your stuff. And eventually you'll, you know, slowly move your margin down, you know, what you're trying to sell things for to a reasonable number where people will buy it and they buy it consistently. And then you can go back and look at, you know, alright on this day I spent X hours doing it, this day I spent X hours, and add up your total hours. And you can go about it that way. You know, I know several makers out there in in the YouTube content creation market have said, you know, this is the price point that you should never go below, this is the price point you should never go below. Well, they're in different markets. Everybody's in a different market. Like I said earlier, if you are the sole person in your area doing that, then you can kind of set your own margins for anything because there's no one to you know there's no one to compete against, but if you're in a flooded market like I am, you have to be reasonable, and what's reasonable is solely up to you. You have to see what's what what the market is driving at um, but I would say never never work so hard. That you feel like when you when you're finished and something finally sells, that you don't feel like you did any good. If if you're working just simply to 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 make ends meet, then you're working too hard or you're not charging enough. So find that happy medium. You know you're you're not you're not ever gonna be a uh, a millionaire as a maker. Unless maybe you start out as a billionaire—that's that's something I see pretty frequently. Uh, you know, as a joke on Facebook, how to be a millionaire as a woodworker: start as a billionaire. But you know, you don't have to be—you know—just picking up, you know, at, at bread scraps, you know, for, for or pocket change for your time.
0: I've also found that if you're afraid of what you're charging or you don't know what to charge, have a few key people that you know will give you an honest opinion, or if you get a client and they're interested in something. What I've done in the past is I will spell out how much time I spend on each step and how long it takes me to do something and how intricate something might be. And then I ask them, you know, what do you think it's worth? Pay me what you think it's worth. And I found that in some instances, they'll see how long it takes to spend on it. And then they'll view that as what if this was me and what if this was my time and There will still be people that will be like, oh, you spent 80 hours on it? I'm going to give you 10 cents because they're ridiculous. But then you'll get those people that say, and I've had this before where I said, you know, I took, you know, 12 hours to make it. And they said, okay, what if I give you, you know, I think it was like $50 an hour. It's like, wow. Yeah, that's much much better. So, like crap. It's you have to take that risk. Yes. You know, and if you're not comfortable accepting something, you can say, "Well, I was thinking more like this." And then you guys can negotiate. But it gives that opportunity for the first few times you start doing something new that you're allowing the customer to kind of give that input. And you have to kind of draw the line between what's ridiculous and what's, you know, actually reasonable and going along with this is also the the family work balance. So you're trying to make stuff and you're trying to get it out and I found that if you're trying to also balance having a family and you know if you work full time, which many of us do, you have less time to do things. And the less time you have, the more valuable it is, which is where That helps kind of drive me when it comes to being able to charge what I'm worth. Because if I find out I have, you know, five hours a week to work on stuff, I'm not going to take a job that is going to make 20 bucks. It's not worth my time. And you have to be comfortable stepping away and saying, you know, I can't do it for that. And as far as the work-life balance goes, so for me, I have a, a wife and two children And I work full time and I commute, you know, 30 to 45 minutes each way to and from work. So by the time I get home, you know, I have five hours till I go to bed. And then most of that time is spent with my kids. So the way that I get stuff done, granted, I'm not, I'm in the laser side. I'm doing some design work as well. So, and I can use my computer for that. I will take my computer to work and during my lunch break, I'll spend my lunch break designing while I eat. And I've also done it where I put my kids to bed and then I stay awake. And granted, I don't get much sleep, but I work on stuff while they're sleeping so that I'm not interrupting time with them. And those are sacrifices, I think, that will define whether you really want to do this or you don't. Because if you really want to turn it into a business, that is what business is like. You're gonna have late nights. You're gonna have you know all nighters sometimes. It all depends on on you really and what you're willing to do to make it happen.
1: Yeah, and, and and that pretty much rolls into the next one. Um, that was just it's just thrown out there. <clears throat> it's a simple one, as time constraints. You know, like you said, the the family work balance. I mean, I have a full time job that um sometimes I travel a decent amount, sometimes I'm gone for an entire week, so I don't see my shop for a week. So that means production I've lost anywhere from, you know, from five hours, you know, if I spend one hour a night at the shop a week, or if I spend four hours, you know, a a night in the shop, I've lost twenty hours. So, I mean I can lose a lot of time that way. But you know, if I if I put it out there to my clients that this is my you know this is my side job and that I'm charging less than a person who's gonna tr- you know have insurance and those other const- you know other things built in, they're okay with those time constraints. The biggest thing for me is that you know if I'm okay with those time constraints because <laughs> I want to try to get this you know get these projects done in a you know efficient amount of time so I can make my clients happy, but also some nights I don't honestly want to be in the shop. So, if I spend 4 hours in the shop one night, that means I may not have to spend as much time in the shop the next night and I can watch Castle Rock, you know, or I can just sit down on the couch after a long day.
0: And have a nice bourbon.
1: There's always there's always a nice bourbon somewhere, somewhere about. So, um, you know, that's it's just one of those things that that as a maker, you're always going to have time constraints. And, you know, unless you get into making full time, and you don't have you know a day job pulling you away, you will have a little less time constraints you know in your nighttime hours. But then you have to worry about balancing the books, paying for yourself, paying for insurance, paying for tools. Shoot, if you're if you're lucky enough to have employees, then you have to worry about their insurance and their time and this and that and the other. You know, I, I uh one of my you know favorite youtube woodworkers, content creators, you know he had a he had an assistant or he had you know he had someone helping him in his shop for 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 a decent amount of time and he just had to let that person go because it didn't you know it didn't work it was not a personality issue it was just it wasn't working for his flow it wasn't working for the you know the time to cost ratio so those things are those things are always going to be out there time constraints and and how to you know how to work against them is uh planning ahead you know if i know that you know next week my job's going to send me down to the coast for almost a full week that means over the weekend and the the week coming up i need to spend as many time you know as much hours as i can in the shop to offset the fact that i'm going to be gone for
0: i would say one of the the biggest fears that never goes away is the fear that you can hurt yourself making things Or even worse, that somebody could get hurt by something that you've made. And this was a popular one on all the postings, and I completely understand. And my best advice for the getting hurt part is do not have distractions when you're working. So always have the proper safety equipment. Use push sticks if you're using a table saw. You know, take every precaution you can and try to keep your mind completely on your task. I'm not going to say that it doesn't happen where your mind strays, but the more focused you are on the dangerous stuff, uh, the better off you're going to be. So if you are in a table saw, you know, if you have protective earphones that play music, maybe turn the music off so it's not distracting. And finish your cuts. And then if you're sanding, go ahead, put your music on. Who cares? Uh, but if you're using power tools or whatever that could be dangerous, or even if you're trying to get something from the rafters or storage or whatever you're doing, try to take every precaution you can. And as far as your stuff hurting somebody else, there's only so much you can do about that because in your mind, you're going to see it as, well, this product's intended use is this. Well, if that person has children or if they, you know, are in college and they have a really rough night, they may just, you know, jump on it or whatever it may be. So there's only so much you can do to mitigate somebody else getting hurt. The best advice I have for that is if you're truly worried about it and you're making stuff, look into insurance that will help cover you in the event. And hopefully it never happens, but in the event that something happens with somebody and they try to come after you, uh, try to be insured, which is part of why, you know, if you're making a table, try to round the corners. If you're, if you're making something that could have sharp edges, you know, try to round them off so they're a little safer. Try to take precautions, but again, there's only so much you can do to control the situation. And you can't control if, A, you make a bookshelf, does that person anchor it to the wall so it doesn't fall over? Does the person, you know, properly do things? So if they don't want you to install it. You know, are they installing it correctly? And those are the things you have to consider is stuff happens. I mean, Murphy's Law, right? So take every precaution you can and try to get insurance if you can afford it. But if you're not comfortable with making something and somebody having it and having that in the back of your mindset that somebody could get hurt and you can't insure yourself for some reason... Maybe consider, you know, not making that product or not selling your stuff yet, if that's what it comes down to, because it's really a comfort level.
1: Yeah. And, you know, and talking about insurance and, and those sorts of things, and we were just talking about payroll and, you know, having employees and this, that, and the other. You know, one thing that we've, uh, we've faced, and I know I faced it here recently after being done with a, you know, a, like a two it felt like a two month project, but it felt even longer it was a two month project but it felt like six months is uh is having your making feel like work you know you you need to you know you probably got into the making business one to to exercise your mind, exercise your hands and and to make money i mean everyone wants to make money, but if you spend too much of it focusing on the money part, then it's gonna feel like work. And you don't want to, you don't want to do that. You want to, you know, you want to do these things to make yourself happy, to make your clients happy. You know, you don't want to kill yourself, you know, stressing about everything, stressing about worrying about somebody might get hurt with my table or they might get hurt with my bookshelf or they get hurt with this or get hurt with that. Don't stress yourself out um, because that can, that can lead to distractions, can lead to mistakes, can lead to a lot of. A lot of things happening that just aren't good for your mental and physical health. I mean, you know, we were going back to time constraints and, and getting hurt. Just a couple of weeks ago, I uh, I was going to spend ten minutes. Ten minutes was all it was going to take. I need to drill a hole through a floor joist to run a piece of two twenty line, and I mean, I had spent the whole day before on the ladder installing some gas line in my basement. Very comfortable using ladders, use them every day. I thought, okay, ten minutes, no big deal. Well, it's eleven o'clock at night probably wasn't the best time for me to be doing it and uh and you know to make a to make a long story short, I ended up falling off the ladder i uh luckily didn't hurt anything majorly I um mostly bruised my ribs and my ego, but because of that, it took a week out of my time. You know, I felt like crap. I felt horrible. Anyone that's had a bruised or cracked rib knows that. You know, the the slightest thing can make it just absolutely irritating. I mean, I sneezed a couple times during that week. You know, not thinking about it, and I felt like I could pass out because it was it was that uncomfortable. So you know, don't don't rush yourself. Don't make things feel like work, because if you rush yourself and you make things feel like work and you stress yourself out. You're going to get hurt. And while it might not be as severe as falling off a ladder or cutting your finger off with a table saw, you know, it just, it slows you down greatly. And the, the last fear, you know, Trevor, you want to you get into the last fear? Because it's something that you and I don't know a lot about, but we did get this one.
0: So the last fear that was submitted was... Being a female maker in a male-dominated maker world. Honestly, we are not the best people to answer this. What we can say is we are huge supporters of females getting into the maker world, the woodworking world, and creating things and bringing a new perspective. After talking with a few people about This topic in particular or this fear in particular. We've decided that we're not the best people to address this. And the amount of time we have in this episode to cover it just simply won't do it justice. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a future episode of the podcast. And we're going to bring on a couple of female makers that have faced this challenge. And get their perspective on it and how they handle it and how they continue to grow in the maker world and create new and exciting things. We obviously are not the best people to answer this question or this fear, and we want to make sure that we get you the best information possible. As we are able to find a couple of makers that are able to be on the podcast for this, we will be doing a full episode on what it's like to be a female maker. So be on the lookout for that.
1: To roll our episode out, we want to thank everyone that has contributed to the podcast so far, everyone that contributed with their fears to this particular podcast, as well as the 344 downloads. As of this morning, we had 344 downloads and that's spread across all over the country. And I know at least one person from outside the U.S. downloaded it this morning, because it showed in the you know the, the last twenty four hours. So we want to give a huge shout out, a big thanks to everyone that's helped us, everyone that sent messages. Trevor, I mean, do you have you know do you have any anybody in particular, anything in particular you want to say to that?
0: So as Stephen said, you know we have over three hundred downloads, and this is for the first three episodes. So we're recording this before we launch episode four and we just want to give a huge shout out to all of you for you know downloading and listening and if you like what we're trying to do here please subscribe to the podcast please leave us reviews on itunes uh, and help contribute if you have topics or if you have questions or whatever please reach out to us we're we're trying to answer as much as we can Uh, And if there's more fears, we will be sure to do a second episode on it. Because I think there's always new things that come up that people are afraid of when it comes to making. So I think that does it for our time today. But again, we just want to thank everybody for all their support so far. And we hope to keep this rolling for a long time. So we'll talk to you next time.
1: All right. Thank you for listening to our show. Be sure to check out makervisionpodcast.com or we'll post valuable resources, tips, and info about anything we've talked in to, uh, talked about in today's shows or past shows. And all these things are to help your maker vision become a maker reality. If you have any questions or suggestions or any comments about what you heard today or Once again, in previous episodes, feel free to drop us a line at makervisionpodcast at gmail.com, on Instagram at makervisionpodcast, or through mine and Trevor's personal Instagram accounts, and that is Old South Woodcraft or Maker Experiment. If you like the show, please give us a five-star review and and just some really nice words to, to let us know how good we're doing. Or if you didn't like it, let us know what you didn't like about it. Either way, we're happy to hear from you. And you can go and do that on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. Once again, thank you for joining us on our podcasts, and we really look forward to hearing hearing from you next week.